Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. In this episode, we'll hear from Terry Rogers, President and CEO of Christian Living Communities, a senior living nonprofit based in Inglewood, Colorado, and Capella Living Solutions, its for-profit management arm. Rogers updated us on the progress of the Perennial Consortium, a new operator-owned Medicare Advantage network slated to launch in 2021 that Christian Living Communities is participating in. He also spoke with us about the organization's ongoing plans to build small homes for older adults with Minka, a company founded by Dr. Bill Thomas. Before we hear that interview, we'd like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. They know financial health is important for your success and want to help you reach your goals. Visit www.pointclickcare.com to learn how they can help you achieve financial success. And now, my interview with Terry Rogers, President and CEO of Christian Living Communities and Capella Living Solutions. Terry Rogers, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. We're in a new decade. It's 2020. So I'm curious, what are your priorities for the year ahead? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Good to be with you. I am just so excited. It is a new decade. It kind of feels different than just a uh, a happy new year. I've been reflecting a little bit on my time in, in senior living, and I actually started in the year 2000. So just finished my 20th year or entering it. So really exciting for me. So I think both professionally and personally, it's just going to be a great year, and I hope a great decade. Uh, From priorities, my wife and I have decided she's a busy traveling physician and and obviously I'm in a busy career spot here at Christian Living Communities. So we have decided we're going to spend the next couple of years really trying to do a better work-life balance. So we're going to be working uh, on our well-being as well as the well-being of our careers. So a lot to do, a lot of exciting things, I think, uh, in store in the next year and the next few years. A better work-life balance, that's something that many of us, I think, in this industry could be better at. (laughs) Absolutely. We could, and we should, I think. Yeah. I wanted to talk about market fundamentals and occupancy for a moment, just really dive into this. In the latest occupancy report from NIC, it was mentioned that 2019, in hindsight, could prove to be on inflection point for assisted living occupancy. So with that idea in mind, do you think that we are starting to see a lessening of some of these headwinds that have been dragging down occupancy for the past few years? I do believe some of the drag will lift in many of the markets over the next uh, couple of years. I I do think some markets are still oversaturated, though, with all the growth we've seen in the last few years. And and I think uh, regardless of whether you're in a saturated market or, or not, we're still all faced with a very strong competitive environment uh, in the near term. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Tim, but Nick just released their latest white paper by Beth Mason and Standish on uh, looking into the future, how much seniors housing will be needed. And uh, I just reviewed that this week. And their uh, conclusion, it seems to me in, in reading their research, is that at current penetration rates, the inventory will need to start picking up around 2023. So I hope that that means kind of the, the last 
part of the next five-year period, we'll start seeing um, much lessening those tight occupancy rates and, and gets a little easier. So using their research, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and I, I did see that report. It was really interesting. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it. I wanted to talk about Christian living communities too. Along the same lines of headwinds, are you all feeling any pressure in your senior housing portfolio or just generally in your operations right now? And if so, what are you doing to mitigate that over the, the coming year? Yeah, I think we have two two pressures. One is workforce, and everyone has that. Um, and then the other is um, occupancy, and just as we were just um, speaking about in the assisted living area, in, in some markets, um, particularly in in Texas, uh, just very competitive in markets uh, we're in there. So uh, what we're doing is trying to differentiate. We've been working on the workforce front to be a uh, differentiator and an employer of choice around uh, pay and benefits and and certainly a work-life culture in the communities and in each individual position. And then on the occupancy side, we've, we've been differentiating our product. Um, really, I think this gets back to fundamentals, but life enrichment, high-quality dementia programming for our memory support neighborhoods, and then focusing on, um, you know, the fundamentals of hospitality and amazing dining programs. So I think we are moving the needle some uh, in those markets, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a slow improvement and we'll continue to put our efforts and our resources there to, uh, to get the needle moving, keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, part of the reason that we call this podcast transform is because we believe that we are currently in the middle of a transformational period for the senior living industry. And this is relevant, especially because just recently we had a webinar in which Beth Mace, again with Nick, said that we are perhaps entering a decade of disruption in 2020. Do you see it that way? And if you do, where do you expect to see the transformation or disruption to come from? Well, yes, I absolutely agree. You know, I hope that disruption comes from providers who are seeking innovative ways to meet the the future demand. But I think modern history tells us that disruption may come from from outside the the field, probably from the tech world. And you know, we ask ourselves, what is the Uber, or the Airbnb for our space? And and I don't know yet. Um, but I know that our organization and I personally, we want to help figure that out. We want to be be part of it over the next few years. I think at the end of the day, we're going to see convergence of technology, assistive devices like we've never seen before implemented in senior housing, and together those yield positive outcomes and population health. So how do we get there and how do we get there effectively and efficiently? I think that's what we all have to be working toward. You know, speaking of disruption, one potential avenue for disruption that I see is through Medicare Advantage and different ways to pay for senior living services. I know that Christian Living Communities is part of the incoming perennial consortium, which is a new operator-owned Medicare Advantage network that's slated to launch, I think, next year. Uh, 
So I'm curious, how, how are those efforts coming along? Have you found anything to be easier or harder than you expected? I don't think uh, so. The plans are coming along great. I I don't think I ever anticipated it was going to be easy. So everything is just as hard as I expected. <laughs> but we are moving along. We're on, on schedule. We're starting in Colorado, obviously, uh, where where we'll be participating, and then we'll be in Ohio as well. Those are the first two states for the perennial consortium. Both of the HMO licenses have been uh, submitted. The applications have been submitted for those licenses to the respective states. And we're starting to create our provider networks in the counties that will be operating in in Ohio and Colorado. And uh, most exciting for me, we've hired our first staff member, Chris Joes, is now the president of the Perennial Consortium and is doing a great job in keeping us organized and on track with all the work that's to be done this year to be prepared for October enrollment uh, for a start date of one one twenty one. Wow. Well, exciting. I know that we're going to follow that. So uh, readers at home expect to, to hear more uh, from us in the future too. So uh, another sort of avenue of disruption are different ways to offer housing solutions creatively. I know that last year you and I had talked about early potential plans to build a small home Minka community in or around the Denver area. And for our listeners at home who don't know what Minka is, Minka is a company from Dr. Bill Thomas that makes 3D printed tiny homes for older adults to basically age in place. So I know that those were early plans when we had talked about them, but I'm curious, how are those plans coming along? Is there anything that you can newly announce on this podcast today? Sure. We're really excited. The more we, we envision what a Minka community could be, we get more excited about it. So we are, as you mentioned, seeing this as a, a really a brand new model uh, that will provide more affordable housing for older adults. So we've started with a planning session, actually, just this month, um, first week of the year. We had uh, the CLC here, our Christian Living Community Senior Leaders, with the Minka senior leaders, and we are aligned and we're ready to go. So first step is to find a site. We've uh, gone through a couple of uh, various sites and, and nothing has stuck yet, but I'm sure we'll be able to find find a spot uh, where a Minka community will take shape and, and take life. And so my vision really hasn't changed from, from I think, when you and I talked last summer, Tim. I, I think Minka communities can be and will be one of the really uh, viable solutions for middle market housing. You know, it's I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I'm very curious to hear how you think the industry will have to be creative in order to meet the needs of the incoming senior housing generation, the baby boomers. You know, it seems to me like we are going to need some really creative solutions to make this work, especially on the affordability side. So, you know, all of this is to sort of ask, what sort of creative housing solutions do you think the senior living industry needs to better serve this new generation of residents? Obviously, it seems like Minka is is one way to do it. So I'm just curious, you know, what do you think will need to occur in this industry to really meet this new demand? Yeah, I I really think the future is going to see a much broader menu of housing options than exists today. I think uh, co-housing, 
multi-generational housing and and then the new types of structure like like minka that are more efficient to build i think all those are going to be some of the solutions uh, we certainly know that the the generation of I want it my way is is headed uh, our direction, and we really have no choice but to find those additional solutions and the products to meet the demand, uh, but also the want, the desire uh, to get them to to move into whatever that new uh, structure, that new community looks like. Uh, I I still believe there's going to be a demand for what we do today. I think uh, some people really like that format, uh, but I think we have to be innovative and we have to de- find ways to develop more affordable rental products uh, as well. So I know for our organization, that's a huge priority over the next few years. Switching gears for a moment, I remember that your organization's management and consulting division, Capella Living Solutions, added about a dozen communities, I think, last September. And when you and I spoke about that, I think you had said that this sort of represented a new chapter for Capella. So I'm curious, can you talk about how you see Capella growing in the future and how that management division will fit into CLC's overall plans in 2020 and beyond? Yeah, certainly you just mentioned we had tremendous growth in in that company in 2019. And um, so now we own and or operate 24 communities in in seven states. So uh, certainly a big expansion in our geography uh, and in the number of communities we support. We're taking the first part of 2020 to really focus on, on the existing communities that we've added over the last couple of years. Uh, we want to ensure that we have strong uh, operating results, that our programs are are there and, and running well, and then um, that our management teams are cohesive and and, and running like a, a well-oiled machine. So we're spending the first part of this year doing that. We anticipate continuing growth. We're still engaged in in uh, some business development activities there for that company and, and have a couple other things in the pipeline already. So we really think this is a great benefit to our overall uh, parent not-for-profit. So Capella Management Services are obviously a for-profit company that's owned by our not-for-profit parent company. So those proceeds and the, the staffing and, and all the, the scalability uh, that we learn through uh, Capella does nothing but help and, and, and bigger our owned operations. So I think what we'll see in the future is growth in um, both portfolios, both what we manage and then what we own as well. I wanted to also switch gears again and talk about competition, especially between... I'm glad that you mentioned the for-profit, not-for-profit distinction that exists within uh, Capella versus CLC. I'm curious though, so we recently spoke with Human Goods CEO John Cochran, who described being horrified and irritated by nonprofits' lack of risk-taking and scale-building against for-profit competition. So... What are your thoughts on how not-for-profit providers can better compete with for-profit providers? And what are some ways in which CLC is able to prepare itself to better compete with those for-profits out there? I think John and I see this uh, kind of in the same light. I'm pretty sure he's not horrified and irritated at, at CLC. Uh, we're certainly playing in 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 the game you know, when I think about it, our field was really started and, and it was built largely by not-for-profits. Um, 
and of course with with Sunrise and and the Clausens and and the for profits came in and and really helped redefine what it could be and made it better. I think we as not for profits we we do exist for the public good. I believe we almost have a mandate to help determine now what's next in the field to to continue to take measured risk, to find ways to partner and find ways to scale. And most of our Capella partners for our management services are for-profit companies, and I see a future where we can all work together. And there's really no reason not-for-profits can't be as innovative as for-profits. I think when it comes to scale, capital is obviously one factor um, that can influence that scalability. And that's why I think we'll continue to see the aggregation of not-for-profit organizations. I know our organization is open to those uh, affiliation opportunities with other not-for-profits, but also we're not afraid to enter into some of the for-profit businesses uh, as well, just to remain competitive and, and to stay in our game. That duality has always been sort of interesting to me. And it's interesting that you say that basically there's a way to sort of blend the best of both worlds, if you will. Yeah, I think, and I could just add the exciting thing to me on the perennial consortium is that we have both not-for-profits and for-profit senior living organizations who are coming together with the same same goals, same objectives, same mission. They're all doing amazing work in the communities with the older adults uh, that they're serving. Uh, so I, I think the perennial consortium is going to be another experiment of how we can blend those for-profit and not-for-profit organizational goals. I wanted to also look far into the future if we could. So let's imagine that in 10 years, you and I are back and we're doing this podcast again. Transform has lasted a decade, longer than a decade. It's it's 2030 now. What do you think CLC will be in 2030 in, in the next decade? And where do you think the senior living industry will be? in 10 years? I understand this is sort of a million dollar question. And if you knew the right answer to it, you'd probably be a, a rich guy. But you know, if you could play around for a moment with me and, and just sort of imagine in 10 years, where do you think we'll all be? Yeah, I, I think just from the industry standpoint, we're, we're going to, you know, I think the big things are we're going to see more consolidation probably in both not-for-profit and for-profit. So in 10 years, we'll see fewer companies, uh, but doing more from those companies. We're going to see, I mentioned the convergence of senior housing and technology like we've never seen before. I'm excited to see what the new technologies are and the new assisted devices that we can't even imagine today. And then uh, the new types of housing that are going to be developed, middle market, and there'll probably be some communities that are more luxurious and more amenities oriented uh, than we even have uh, today, very resort style. So I think uh, the future will see this big, broad array of, of housing options. For the organization here, Christian Living Communities, we are just embarking this year on creating our next uh, five to 10 year plan. We're not sure exactly the, the scope yet, but what we're working toward is to create an innovation framework uh, that includes housing, home care, and then population health. And how within each of those three buckets are we going to innovate to make sure we achieve the outcomes that we need to? I think this is the most exciting uh, decade of my career. And I love that it's almost logical that we're, we're bringing population health into senior living where 
those social determinants or health are impacted and managed in a way that's um, much bigger than in any other setting. So, you know, we're the place where well-being happens, and and we need to start getting paid for that uh, for for controlling and managing that risk and and helping to decrease medical cost uh, for those populations we serve. So, I think it's a perfect decade for all those three things to come together. Yeah, well, it, it, you're you're absolutely right. It is a very exciting time to be in this industry. Finally, Terry, I, I can't get out of this interview without asking you a personal question. I ask this to many folks in this industry, and I get lots of different interesting answers. So I'm going to ask you, if you weren't in senior living, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, I don't want to do anything else. But if I were to do something else, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I really enjoy the aspects of working with other people very directly as my role allows me to do, but I am just passionate about how how technology can help people. And so I think it would be in the technology field. I am so interested in how it changes so rapidly. And so I think if if I were just to follow what I'm interested in uh, sitting here today, I think it'd be in the tech field. Well, there you have it. Terry Rogers, Elon Musk. <laughs> it could have, could have been, could have been. Um, uh, if only. Yeah. <laughs> well, Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I appreciated having you on the podcast. It was, it was great. Thank you, Tim. Always good to, uh, to speak with you and happy new decade. And that does it for this episode of Transform. Don't forget to visit our sponsor at pointclickcare.com. I'm Tim Rican. Thanks for listening.